seven-year-old Jimmy Lee Carter stood outside the Alabama school for the Negro deaf and blind in Talladega. He thought the world had come to an end. Blind from birth, he related to the world through sound. At this moment, he heard the heart-crushing one of a car driving away on gravel, carrying his mother back home to Birmingham. It was supper time on a Wednesday in September 1939. Standing on the curb outside the school, he felt a hand grasp his. A teacher had come to meet him. He followed her inside to the cafeteria. Hearing voices of children growing loud around him, Jimmy sat down to a meal of grits and gravy. Jimmy had lived with his parents and five older brothers in a house on the grounds of Ishkuda Ore Mining Camp, where his dad, Major Carter, worked for the Tennessee Coal, Iron, and Railroad Company. The decision to send Jimmy to Talladega had not been easy. His father wanted no part of it, and Jimmy tended to agree. His mother, Cassie, thought it best, though it pained her to let Jimmy go. She never forgot how it felt to leave him in Talladega, the only question being who had cried more, her or Jimmy. The school, according to a 1931 news article, addressed the problem of making useful citizens of Negro boys and girls handicapped by blindness or deafness. The deaf learned to be farmers, cobblers, and carpenters, while the blind boys went in for commercial broom and mop manufacturing and music. The visually impaired youngsters were called blind boys long before the brand became iconic. The census taken in 1940, the year after Jimmy's arrival, lists him and just under 70 other blind boys and girls in residence at the school, with a nearly equal number of deaf children. His first morning alone, Jimmy brushed his teeth, got himself dressed, and heard a group of boys approach. He felt a punch crash into him. He reached and grabbed a hold of his attacker and, as Jimmy would recall, beat the dickens out of him. Much to Jimmy's surprise, he had made his first friend. He and Paul Lewis would remain close for years to come. They managed to get themselves down to breakfast, and the routine of the next several years unfolded. They learned to read Braille and do math. They received vocational training in broom and mop making. They took music with Miss Elsie McBride, who taught piano and voice and offered choral training. Though the Negro deaf students farmed the land surrounding the school, and the local newspaper reported a production of 6,000 cans of food on campus, the blind students ate meagerly and suspected that the best of the food went to the white deaf and blind, schooled in another facility. At night, students were locked into the black school building, which the otherwise friendly local paper would describe as a potential death trap for children. Jimmy learned quickly that a blood feud between the blind and the deaf simmered inside the school walls. As soon as the locks clicked after dark and the teachers left, the Negro blind readied for battle. The deaf attacked, first throwing hot water on the blind. The blind countered by negating the one advantage of the deaf. They turned out the lights. All things being closer to equal, the two sides brawled to exhaustion and crawled back to their bunks. Fights with the deaf weren't the only cause of physical pain for the blind. In later years, former students would report that school staff had abused them. Jimmy found solace in music. He felt like he'd been born singing. He joined the male chorus at school and sang hymns with 50 or so other boys. When dignitaries visited the school, the chorus greeted them with songs. A 1943 news story notes the boys' rendition of Rock of Ages, 
for a school board inspection. One member of the boys' choir raised his voice about the rough treatment and bad food given them. The outspoken boy's name was Velma Trailer. Jimmy heard Velma and the school's principal have it out. Velma's nerve impressed Jimmy. Velma was eight years older than Jimmy, and with his age and courage, other students gravitated to him. He could also sing, the best of any of them, and so became a leader among the young blind boys. Music wasn't their only method of escape. Somehow, Velma had learned how to get out of the school building and leave campus after classes ended, and he had made friends with a general store owner in the McCannville neighborhood less than a mile from school.